And so we're looking at uh, James chapter 5, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 12. The name of my message is Get Ready and Stay Ready. Because this whole scripture this morning is going to be talking about the return of Christ. And I'm going to give you five principles this morning on how you can get ready and stay ready for the soon return of Christ. And I'm telling you what, it's soon. You know, Jesus made it very clear in the Gospel of Matthew that no one's going to know the day or the hour. No, we don't know when Jesus is going to rapture the church and get us out of here, but we know it's soon. You know why? Because Jesus said, even though you're not going to know the day or the hour, that's what Matthew 24, 36 says. It says, but of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. We're not going to know the day or hour, but Jesus also said, be aware of the signs of the times. And the signs are kicking in, folks. We are getting close to the end of the age based on what Jesus said in Matthew 24 and other scriptures. He made it very clear that at the end of the age, lawlessness is going to increase and people's hearts are going to grow cold. Look at the chaos in our culture today. Is lawlessness increasing or what? People's hearts getting cold? Yeah, we're seeing that. We know at the end of the age also from several Old Testament references that Israel is going to become a nation again. After, you know, hundreds and hundreds, centuries of time, Israel was no nation whatsoever. And then at the end of the age, it says Israel is going to become a nation again. 1948, they came back. Like no other time in world history has a nation been extinct for 1900 years. And then they come back out of nowhere and they get their land back. And then in 1967, after the Six-Day War, they got their city back. The beloved city of Jerusalem was, was brought back in, in, in their control, which is amazing. We know also that at the end of the age, what's going to happen is Revelation 13 says there's going to be a mark of the beast. And what's going to happen is this world leader is going to come onto the scene and he's going to uh, plant uh, some kind of mark in the, in the hand and the forehead that's going to enable people to buy and sell. And this Antichrist is going to have total control over the whole world system, business-wise, econ- economy, political, even religious-wise. He's going to be a global leader. We're going in that direction. Can you say Bill Gates? He, he's talking, no, don't say it. I'm just kidding. But, but Bill Gates is, is, is trying to lobby for a tattoo that would be put on every human being that would have some kind of mark on every human being for identification and for what he would say health purposes and other stuff like that. By the way, Bill Gates, I'm not getting a tattoo. Not going to do that. I don't want to be marked by anybody. No, no, the only person I want to be marked by is the Holy Spirit. The seal of the Holy Spirit is what we want. We don't want anything else. And so, so what we're, we're looking at is we're getting closer to the end of the age. All these signs are coming into place. Interesting, it also said about Israel, several Old Testament references, when Israel at the end of the age becomes a nation again, they're going to become fruitful. And not only are they going to become fruitful, they're going to be an exporter of fruit to the whole world. Do you know that Israel right now, after you know, 100 years ago, before they were a nation, it was, Israel was just rocks and desert. But they brought in millions of trees when they got their nation back. And they started farming again in Israel. And now Israel is the third largest exporter of fruit of any nation in the world. Just like Scripture says was going to happen at the end of the age. It's amazing. Israel is only the size of Indiana. And they export and they grow and export more fruit than any other nation in the world except for two other nations. It's a sign of the end of the times. Also, what we're seeing in this global economy, in this global world, it's leading right into the spirit of the Antichrist who's going to have global control. Have you noticed that? Everything's going global. And it's, a lot of it has to do with the internet. 
then he's going to have global control because everything is going to be controlled by him worldwide through the internet and through these other means that he has. It's, it's incredible to me what's, what these smartphones could do nowadays too. It's, it's, it's almost scary to me because I don't know if they're listening to us or what uh, through the smartphones, but I was, you know, we got a new dog, Jojo. I love our little puppy, Jojo. Little lab. And uh, Heidi wants to start transporting Jojo around, but she doesn't want Jojo to ruin our seats. So I'm talking to Heidi the other day about this new seat cover she wants to get for our car so we could transport our dog around without tearing up our seats, right? I didn't Google it. I didn't put anything on my smartphone. I just talked to my wife about it. You know what all my ads on Facebook lately have been? Seat cushions for dogs to protect your seats. I didn't even Google it. And they got control over my smartphone to the point, I don't know if they're listening to me or what. It's scary. But everything's going into this place where there's going to be global control and a global leader, and we're getting close. All the technology is in place also. Makes me want to take my stinking smartphone and just throw it over there or something. But we're so dependent on that, right? But that dependency is going to lead to control for a world leader to run the whole world and, and have everybody under his control. But praise the Lord. First Thessalonians 4, 16 to 18 says, we're going to be raptured out of here before he gets total control. We're going to be caught up in the clouds. We're going to see him face to face. And we too will be like him. Amen? So praise the Lord for that. But here's, here's the question I want to answer this morning. The question I want to answer this morning, with all this coming into place, with us getting close to the end of the age, everything happening here, here's, here's the question I want to answer this morning. How can we get ready and stay ready? What are some ways we need to be living if we're going to be ready for the soon return of Christ? And I don't know about you, I want to be ready. When I see, boom, get raptured out of here and I see Jesus face to face, I want to be living in such a way that I'm ready. So let's look. I'll give you five principles. Let's jump right in. James chapter 5. If you're there, say amen. amen. Here we go. Come now, you rich. Weep and howl for your miseries which are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted. Your garments have become moth-eating. Verse 3. Your gold and silver have rusted, and the rust will be a witness against you and will consume your flesh like fire. It's in the last days, James says, that you've stored up your treasure. Behold, the pay of the laborers who mowed your fields and which have with, been withheld by you cries against you. And the outcry of those who did the harvesting has reached the ears of the Lord of Sabbath. You have lived luxuriously on the earth and led a life of wanton pleasure. Look at that, wanton pleasure. You have fattened your hearts in a day of salt slaughter. You have condemned and put to death the righteous man. He does not resist you. Now, a little context on this scripture. Uh, we saw last week him addressing the rich merchants that were making all their own plans and going to cities and not even consulting God and not being dependent on God's will. Now he's addressing these rich merchants again, these wealthy people in the church in the New Testament. And here's what's happening. Rome is exploding at this time of the first century. There's, there was Roman roads. Remember that phrase, all roads lead to what? Rome. And so there was a highway system that was being built all throughout the Roman Empire at the time. And then there was also a thing called Roman peace. And what they do is they conquer a nation, and then they bring Rome to that nation. As long as that nation was at peace with them, they became Roman colonies all over the Roman Empire. All throughout Europe was being conquered by Rome, and there was prosperity galore. People were making a lot of money. And not only that, there was a universal language. It was Keone Greek. 
Remember, Alexander the Greek conquered the world before the Roman Empire, and he established his language in the whole known world. So you have this whole mixture of uh, new highway system, uh, peace among all these European nations, and then also the, the universal language, it led to a lot of prosperity. And then also there were 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire that were doing all the labor. And so it was a time of prosperity, and some of this prosperity was in the church. And some of these wealthy people in the church didn't have the right perspective on their wealth. And so what is he saying about some of these wealthy people? He's saying, well, first of all, you guys, you've lived luxurious, and the Lord's about to come, and you've lived in your wanton pleasure. And not only that, as we read those verses, he said, and you're ripping people off to make more money. They had laborers coming in, doing their fields, everything else. And then because they had the power, they didn't pay them. They ripped them off. And they kept, they didn't have the right perspective on their wealth. If we're going to be ready for the Lord's return, we've got to have the right perspective on what we have. And what's the right perspective on what we have? Everything we have as Christians, it's not ours. It's God's. And we're just stewards for 70, 80 years, and it's to be gone. You can't put a hearst, or you can't put a U-Haul in the back of your hearst. You can't take it with you. And the right perspective is this, is we keep a light grip on what God has blessed us with, and we're good stewards, and we manage well the wealth and the resources that we're given. Now, is it wrong to have stuff? No, but it's wrong for stuff to have you. And that's what was going on with these wealthy people. It was becoming their God and their idol, and it was controlling their lives. It was the passion of their lives rather than Jesus Christ. And also, you know, it's not wrong to have possessions, but it's wrong for possessions to possess you. Jesus spoke a lot about this also throughout his ministry. Listen to some of the words of Jesus on this. Matthew 6, verse 19, he said this, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures where? In heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, what does it say? There will your heart be also. It's a matter of the heart, isn't it? And then he also said in Matthew 19, 21, Jesus said to to the rich young ruler who who had as his heart the idol of wealth, and he said to the rich young ruler, if you wish to be complete, go and sell your possessions, give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven, and hey, then come and follow me. Now, is Jesus saying, sell all your stuff, get rid of everything, and follow Jesus? No, he's not saying that, but he was going to this guy's heart, and he was challenging the idol in his heart, and he was saying, get this right. Don't let these things possess you. Live for me. Don't live for stuff. Another story told in Luke chapter 12, verses 16 and 21, is a parable. He said this, the land of a rich man was very productive, and he began reasoning to himself, what shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? And then this rich guy said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I'll store up all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your soul is required of you, and now you will... Uh, who will own what you have prepared. So is the man who stores up treasures for himself and is not what? Rich towards God. Do you see that? It's about having the right perspective on what we have. And what we have ultimately isn't ours. It's God's. And we're to be wise with what we have and use it, yes, to provide for our families. Yes, to take care of ourselves. But also to, to give and to bless 
and expand the kingdom with. And we should keep a light grip on our stuff because we're living in the last days. And soon and very soon we're going to see our king and that stuff is going to be gone. And we can't take that stuff with us. But listen, we could send it ahead. And here's how we send it ahead. We use it for his kingdom and his glory. I like what John Wesley said about this. He said this. John Wesley, that great preacher, the one that started the Methodist church actually, he said this. Gain all you can, save all you can, and then what? Give all you can. Work hard. Work hard to be able to have a surplus to provide for your family and and work hard so you can have a surplus and you can start giving. And so work hard to gain all you can and then, hey, save all you can so you can give all you can. I'm a Dave Ramsey fan. I listen to his podcasts and I try to learn from him because he's really wise in the area of finances. And I like the guy because he's got the, I think he's got the third uh, most listened to talk radio show in the whole nation. I think Rush Limbaugh and Hannity only have more people listening. And he has over like 9 million people every day listening to him. And he's an unashamed evangelical Christian. And he says that when he's answering questions. He says, I'm an evangelical Christian. And he, he has a saying, he says, and I'm teaching people to get out of debt and live in such a way now, and live like no one else now, so that in the future they can live and give like no one else in the future. And he's, he's unashamed and, and challenging people in this area of, hey, you need to live carefully and stay out of debt so that you could live and give like no one else as you go forward. And he's unashamed too about challenging people, hey, part of what makes life fun is learning to give. Because Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. He's unashamed too about the fact that as an evangelical Christian, and he, he's a multimillionaire, but he says, I tithe devotedly. I'm a tither because that's what biblically I think I'm supposed to be doing as an evangelical Christian. And that's smart. That's someone who's living in such a way that he's being a good steward of his money and he's ready for the return of Christ. That's the first thing. If we're going to be ready for the return of Christ, we've got to have our house in order. We've got to be people that are learning the blessedness of being givers. And we're not ripping people off with our, with our power or our wealth. We're not hoarding our wealth. There's even a show about that now. Isn't it called The Hoarders or something? That's the last thing we know. Another last thing we need is another uh, a reality TV show about people doing stupid stuff. Hoarders. We shouldn't be hoarders is what James is saying in these last days. And then we shouldn't be living in wanton pleasure. What does that mean? It's hedonism. What that means is we're not living for the lusts of our flesh, the lusts of our eyes, and just for pleasure. We're living for Christ. And that's the problem that was going on with these wealthy people. Is that they had a wrong perspective on the stuff they had. And it was leading to hoarding. It was leading to ripping people off. And it was leading to just living for pleasure rather than living for Christ. So let's keep that perspective right in these last days, right? And one of the ways we could do that is keep a light grip on the stuff we got and be givers. Because it's more blessed to give than receive. And I tell you what, you just get in this giving mode, it's a blessing, to see your resources going to, to advance the kingdom of God, that's a blessing. To see your resources going to help people and to do ministry and to build God's church, that's a blessing to be a part of that. So let's be in on that. And then it goes on, second principle we'll see is this, verse 7, if you're there, say amen. Be patient. Oh, I struggle with that one. Be patient, verse 7. Therefore, brethren, until the coming of the Lord, behold, the farmer waits for the precious produce of the soul being patient about it until it gets the early and late rains. You too, be patient. 
Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is what? Now, there's three references in these three verses, seven, eight, and nine, to the coming of the Lord. And so I, that's, that's the context of what we're talking about. Three times he refers to the coming of the Lord in verses 7, verses 8, verses 9. And so around these three statements about the coming of the Lord, he's giving us principles that will help us be ready for the coming of the Lord. And the second principle he gives us is we're supposed to be like a farmer. And what he says is that what the farmer does in their culture, the farmer would sow the seed, and then after he'd sow the seed, there'd be the early rains. What were the early rains? Spring rains. And then the spring rains would come, and it would water the seed and get the seed to germinate. And then he'd be patiently waiting through the summer. And then the latter rains would come, and the latter rains would bring fruition to the harvest. Interesting. But he had to be patient. It didn't happen overnight. It took the early rains and the latter rains. Now, interesting too, many, many Bible scholars believe uh, that what this is a reference to by James, James is that the early rains in regards to the harvest of righteousness and the harvest of souls, was the Pentecost, the beginning of the church. Remember Acts chapter 2? Holy Spirit rained down from heaven. It came upon believers there, 120 believers. And in one day, 3,000 souls were added to the kingdom and baptized that one day. And the church was off and running. And there was a great revival. And a whole Roman Empire within 100 years was reached for the glory of God and for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And there was a great harvest. That was the early rains. Many scholars believe there's the latter rains that James is referring to here will happen at the end of the age, at the coming of the Lord, right before the rapture. And the latter rains will be one more great revival. The latter rains before the rapture of the church of Jesus Christ. Hey, let's pray that happens like yesterday. Let's pray that happens in our country. Let's pray that happens with Calvary chapels, and may we be the epicenter of these latter rains where the Holy Spirit brings revival nationwide. That's awesome. And so the second principle that needs to be in place when we be ready for the soon return of Christ is we need to be like a farmer that's patiently waiting for this harvest, this last revival, but is planting seeds. Planting seeds. Because Peter tells us in 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but he's patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but all to come to repentance. And then Peter also says, 1 Peter 1, 23, for you have been born again, not of a seed, which is what? perishable but imperishable and that is through the living and enduring word of God and so as as Christians we got seed right here it's the word of God and what we're supposed to be doing is we're supposed to be patiently waiting for the return of Christ and then be like farmers that are taking the seed of God's word and we're planting it in the lives of other people and then we're like God we're patiently waiting for those people to come to Christ and that's hard, because sometimes we give up on people rather than keep sowing seed into their life. I think about the guy that witnessed to me for six months. He purposely walked home from school with me every day in high school for six months, planting seeds and planting seeds and planting seeds. And I wasn't easy soil at that time. I was arguing with him about everything. I thought the Bible had contradictions. I thought that some of the rules in the Bible were archaic and not for today. I'm ashamed to tell you some of the things that I argued with him about. But you know what? He planted seed. He planted seed and he was patient with me. And after about six months, I bent my knee and I came to Christ. 
And now, of all things, I'm a pastor planting seeds. And I think of my grandpa, who I'm named after, Grandpa Hoppy. Uh, John G. Hoppy Sr. I'm John G. Hoppy III. And I remember as grandkids, he planted seeds in our lives. Every time we'd have, go to Grandpa Hoppy's for dinner, he would have his Bible by the dining room table, his daily bread, and we couldn't get away from his dinner, dinner table without him planting seeds, planting seeds, planting seeds in all the grandkids' lives. I got a call, I got a call from my, um, my cousin, who's a senior pastor of a Reformed Church of America up in New York, and he's coming through uh, for a vacation, and we're going to get together um, with his kids. His kids are now teenagers. Last time I saw him, his kids were toddlers. And I was thinking about Dirk, and I was thinking about, he was at the dining room table with me sometimes, up at Hills Lake, at my grandpa's lake house, or in Oak Park. He, he, he was at that dining room table sometimes. Now he's a pastor, too. His grandpa Hoppy patiently planted seeds in our lives as grandkids. Dads, let me give you uh, just an encouragement here. Keep planting seeds. Keep planting seeds of God's word in your kids' lives. Keep planting seeds if you have grandkids in your grandkids' lives. And be patient with them because kids will be kids, right? But keep planting seeds. This, this book is the imperishable seed of God's word, and it doesn't return empty. Isaiah 55 says, God's word, when it goes forth, it doesn't return empty. It accomplishes the purposes for which it is sent, and that's for salvation and spiritual growth. And we need to be like farmers, James says, that's patiently waiting for the harvest to come in and keep planting seeds, and that's a part of being ready for the return of Christ. Amen? Amen. And then it says this, too, verse 9, do not complain, brethren, against one another, that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. I'm dating myself here, but there was a guy, a comedian, several decades ago. I think he might have read this first because his, his, his big line in his comedy act was, here comes the judge, here comes the judge, here comes the judge. Older people, who was that, by the way? You got it, Flip Wilson. But his line was, here comes the judge, here comes the judge, here comes the judge. He must have read James. Because James is saying the judge is standing right at the door. That means Christ is coming soon. And if he's coming soon, it's saying, here's a third principle. Don't complain against other brothers and sisters in Christ. And don't judge them either. We talked about that a little bit last week too. The Bible says, judge not lest you be judged. And we got to be careful, especially in the climate that we're in today. The culture we're in today of chaos that we're not adding to the problem by judging and complaining and posting stuff on Facebook that's gonna stoke the fire rather than bring peace. Please, Christians, please, please be, be more careful on Facebook. You know what, we don't need more conflict and anger and more people getting upset because we're complaining on Facebook or we're railing against this or that on Facebook. I personally, being led lately, stay off of Facebook. I'll still check it, but I'm not gonna post anything that's gonna make more people angry. Because Matthew 5, 9, Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And in this culture we're in right now, please, a part of being ready for the return of Christ is we're not adding more fire to the conflict and the chaos. We're being people of peace because our Savior is a prince of peace. 
So let's be a little more careful on this, that we're not stoking the fire by complaining or judging or whatever else on Facebook and causing more conflict in the culture around us or even more conflict in our church. Let's be a little more careful. That's a part of being people of peace. And we're going we're to be people of peace. Yeah, we're going to be truth. We're, we're going to stand for truth. We're going to stand for righteousness. But we've got to be careful in our culture today not to add more conflict and more problems and more tension and more like this. Because we're supposed to be peacemakers. Amen? And let's not be complaining against brothers or sisters, especially in Christ. Let's not be judging them. Let's be loving them. As we said last week, our job is not to judge. Our job is to love. Because our greatest commandment is love God and love your neighbor as yourself. So if we're going to be ready in these last days, we're going to be people of peace. We're not going to be complaining. We're not going to be judging. We're going to be bringing peace because we have the Prince of Peace as our Savior. And then it says in verse 10, as an example, brethren, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we count those blessed and who endured, who have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings. That is, the Lord is full of compassion. And what else, what else is God full of? Mercy. That's awesome. You know, the next thing he's saying about this, if we're going to be ready, the judges stand at the door, if we're be ready for the soon return of Christ, we need to be people that patiently endure the suffering and trials that life will throw at us. And he gives you two examples of people that patiently endured suffering and trials. First example is the prophets. Prophets like Elijah. Prophets like Jeremiah. Prophets like Isaiah. They suffered a lot. Jeremiah actually had the nickname of being the, the suffering prophet. Or the, I'm sorry, the weeping prophet. Because he was crying all the time because all the stuff he was going through. It actually says in the book of Jeremiah that they put his feet in stocks and threw him in prison and threw him in this miry you know, prison that was filled with all kinds of excrement and everything else. And he was in there for a long period of time as a prophet because all he was doing is he was saying for the Lord, thus saith the Lord, and God's people didn't like what he had to say. They, they were listening to the false prophets instead of him. And because of that, he got thrown in prison in stocks, the weeping prophet, but he patiently endured the other example that they gave here of patiently endurance suffering is Job. Job's a great example. Job was one of the most righteous men in the whole world at the time. He walked close to God. He offered morning and evening sacrifices just for his family every day. This man walked close with God. But then one day, God was conversing with Satan in heaven, and, and God was actually bragging on Job a little bit and saying, hey, have you considered my servant Job? He's one of the most righteous men in the whole world. Satan says he's only righteous. He only walks with you because you bless him. Take away everything he has and see if he still walks with you. So God gave authority and permission to Satan to take all of Job's stuff. First of all, it was his house. His house blew down. And then it was his kids. And then it was his business. And then ultimately it was his health. He had to scrape away all this stuff that was growing, eczema or, eczema or whatever it's called, and all these boils on his skin. And his health went bad. And then remember what his wife said to him. <laughs> One thing that was left to him was his wife who said this, why don't you just curse God and die? Can you imagine that? With all that stuff happening, you got a wife that says, why don't you just die? And, but you know what Job said in the midst of that? Now Job, listen, if you read the book of Job, you'll see he had questions. You see he went through the struggle of the trials and the suffering, but he never gave up on God and he patiently endured with his faith in the midst of the struggle. Listen to some of Job's words in the midst of all this stuff, all this 
incredible trials that he was going through. Job 121, he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, naked I shall return. The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. And what did he say? Blessed be the name of the Lord. See how he patiently endured and maintained his faith? And then he said in Job, Job 2.10 uh, to his wife, it says, you speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we endure, accept good from God and not accept adversity? In all this, Job did not what? He didn't sin with his lips. He kept trusting God and patiently endured. Job uh, thirteen fifteen. it says, though God you slay me, Job says, I will hope in him. Another, verse, another version says, even if you slay me, O God, yet will I put my trust in you. Nevertheless, I'll argue my ways before him. And then the last one from Job, Job 19, 25 says, As for me, I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he shall take his stand on the earth. Even after my skin is destroyed, yet from my flesh I will see God, whom I myself shall behold, and whom my eyes will see and not another, and my heart faints within me. See what, in the midst of the suffering and trials, he was saying, Hey, I know this is tough, but I also know my Redeemer lives. And in the end... I'm going to see my God, and it's all going to be okay. Because when we see Christ, we're going to see him face to face, and then we too will be like him. And all the sin in heaven, gone. All the pain in heaven, gone. All the mourning in heaven, gone. All the death uh, uh, in heaven, it's, it's non-existent. No, death won't exist anymore. And sin won't exist anymore. Isn't that going to be awesome? The, the sinful flesh taken away. And we will see him as he is, and we too will be like him. So in the meantime, as we wait for this, and we wait for the rapture, we need to be like Job and just maintain faith, strengthen our hearts, and be people that patiently endure. And hang in there with faith. Amen? We don't give up, because Jesus didn't give up on the cross. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. We can endure some of this suffering in this world until we see Christ. And then we're going to be ready for the return of Christ. My grandma on my mom's side, one of the most godly women I've ever known, she's an example to me of this. She was amazing. Her name, her, her name for us as grandkids was Mimi. And Mimi didn't have it easy. Mimi was a, a, a pastor's kid. My great-grandpa, by the way, was a reformed pastor. And uh, it wasn't an easy life for Mimi. Well, one was her older brother, went, the only son in the family, went to war, World War II, and was killed in combat in war. And it set their family into a tizzy. I mean, it was tough to have the one son in that family die in war, World War II. And then Mimi uh, 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 married Papa. And Papa DeBoer, as he got older, middle-aged, Mimi's husband, got, uh, he got uh, emphysema. And it was to the point where he had the last five to six years of his life, he had to literally, to breathe, he had to be in an oxygen machine all the time. He was drowning. When he didn't have oxygen on him, he was drowning because of the emphysema. And then he died way too young. He died probably in his mid-60s, if that. And then after he died, probably part of the stress and everything that she had gone through with Papa DeBoer, she got Parkinson's to the point where she could, she could barely walk. And when she did walk, it was like one little step like this. And she'd be shaking all the time with the Parkinson's. But as a young Christian, as I saw Mimi go through all these sufferings and trials, I'll never forget as a young Christian myself. I was a young Christian when she was going through this. I'd never forget the faith that she endured with. She always had a smile on her face. The joy of the Lord was her strength. 
She maintained, I mean, she was, although she could barely walk like this, she was in church whenever she could be in church. She was godly. She was seeking God's face in the midst of the trial and the adversity that she went right to her grave with. And I think she's dancing on the streets of gold right now. And she's probably looking down in heaven and saying, preach it, Chip. That's my nickname with, with family. But she was an example, a sterling example to me of someone who patiently endured no matter what life threw at them. Amen? Let's be, like, let's be like those kind of Christians as we wait for the soon return of Christ. No matter what life throws at us, we are going to be like Job that says, even if you slay me, O God, yet I'm going to put my trust in you. I'm going to walk, stay close to you, God, because you're my strong tower. And when the trials come, I'm going to run to you instead of run away from you. I'm going to patiently endure in my faith. That's how we'll be ready for the return of Christ. Keep the faith. What did Paul say? I fought the good fight. I finished the course. I've what? I've kept the faith. And that's what we need to do in these last days. All right, let's close it up now. Verse 12. But above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but let your what? <clears throat> yes be yes and your no be no so that you may not fall under judgment. The last thing James says is he actually, he's almost verbatim quoting his brother, his big brother, which was Jesus, by the way. He was the half-brother of Jesus, same mom, Mary. And Jesus said something very, almost verbatim, the same thing in Matthew chapter 5, verses 33 to 37. This is what Jesus said. Again, you've heard that the ancients were told, you shall not make false vows, but shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. But I say to you, make no oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, <clears throat> or by earth, for it is the footstool of his feet, or by Jerusalem, it's the city of the great king. Nor shall you make an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black, but let your statement be what? Yes, yes, or no, no. Anything else beyond this is evil. What's James' point and what's Jesus' point? In these last days especially, we need to be people of our word. We need to be people that when we make a commitment, we're going to do it. And we're not, we're not supposed to be people that are always saying, hey, I swear to God, I swear to God, I swear to God, if you loan me this 50 bucks, I swear to God, in six months, I'll get it back to you. When someone prefaces it like that with me, I say, well, you ain't getting my money. Because if you've got to swear to God that many times to get my money, you probably ain't getting it back to me. Right? And so it's first of all saying, don't be swearing to God you're going to do this or do that. Just do it. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. What does that mean practically? It means when you say you're going to do this job or this job for this person, you do it. And when, it's, when, it, when you say you're going to be at this place at this time, you're at that place and they're at that time. When you have this bill to pay or that bill to pay, you pay it. You let your yes be yes and your no be no, because that's a part of the integrity that we need to live with in these last days, because the world's watching. And the world, when they see people naming the name of Christ that are not people of their word, people that are saying they'll do this and they don't do it, that gives them an excuse not to listen to the gospel that we're sharing with them. We don't want to give them excuses. We want to be people of integrity. Let your yes be yes, and your no be no in these last days especially. Greg Laurie, one of my favorite uh, Calvary Chapel pastors, uh, he's got a great sense of humor and good, good speaker. I just love the guy. He does these Harvest Crusades and stuff. And I was listening to him the other day, and he was talking about this 
this little breakfast place that he goes to, and it's one of his mom and pop shop, and he likes going there for, you know, uh, breakfast before he goes to work and get coffee and stuff like that. And this was several years ago, but, but actually what, what he did is he was going to this place, and then something ruined it because he loved this place, but what ruined it was they started putting bounce checks in the glass right by the cashier. And he said, every morning I'd go there and I'd see this bounce check and it was someone who had a fish in a scripture on the check. And it was basically, this is, you know, basically so that people wouldn't bounce their checks or they'd put it under the glass. Like, so you know what Greg Laurie finally did? He said, could I pay off that check and could you give me the check back so I could rip it up? Because he said that seeing this just grieved his spirit that somebody would come in and not pay their bill and bounce their check because it was a Christian with a fish in a scripture on there. Let your yes be yes, and what? No be no. Be a person of reward. Don't be so, I swear to God I'll do this. I swear to God I'll do this. I'll swear. No, don't even use that phrase. Let your yes be yes, and your no be no. So what did we learn this morning? How could we be ready for the soon return of Christ? First of all, we learned, hey, it's coming. Signs of the times are in place. And there's five principles we learned this morning. Let's go through them again. Uh, to be right and to be ready for the soon return of Christ. We need to have the right behavior and the right perspective on our what? On our stuff, on our wealth. We need to be givers. We need to, we need to be people that live like no one else and we're careful with what God's blessed us with and then we could give like no one else and be givers because it's more blessed to give than receive. Number two, we need to be patient in what? Sow seeds, like the farmer, because the latter rains are coming, and we're going to need to be sowing the imperishable seed of God's word into people's lives in these last days. Number three, we're not to complain, and especially complain and judge other brothers and sisters. We're supposed to be people of peace. Number four, we, we need to be like Job and the prophets. We need to patiently endure suffering and trials, because soon and very soon we're going to see our king, and it'll be over. But in the meantime, we're going to keep fighting the good fight. We're going to keep, keep uh, finishing the course. We're going to keep the faith even when trials come in our life in these last days. And number five, we, we learned very important that we're to be men and women of our word. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Amen? Amen. We all fail in these areas, but let's man up. Let's woman up. Let's, 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 let's be committed to being those people of integrity and those men and women of God that God's called us to be in these last days so we can be a witness to a world that's watching and they're seeing our light and they're seeing the truth in our lives as we live these principles out. Let's pray.